0: Today's podcast is brought to you by drinkers like you. To help support the show, visit patreon.com slash show. Holy crap, there's a lot of dust. Does this stuff still even work? Test one, test two. Oh, geez. We're recording. We're back, it seems, and ready to talk about something. Where are the notes? Robert Mondavi Winery. Okay, then, well, I guess get ready as we dive in and have a cow. No, that's not right. Make a drink. No, that's not it either. Have a drink. That feels right. Have a drink, the show where you learn along with us about what you drink. I'm Brittany Lee Walker.
1: I'm Justin Frazier.
2: I'm Christopher Walker. I'm Casey Price. (laughs) Well, hello. Hey, everybody. (laughs) Seems to have uh, been a while since we all last spoke.
1: Uh, Has it? I've been sealed in carbonite for the last...
2: What day is it? I couldn't really tell you. (laughs) Oh, okay. Brain is on autopilot. Time.
0: What is, what is time?
3: <laughs> so, time
1: uh, what illusion. Crafted, but never mind. What's everyone been up to?
3: Casey? I can't remember.
1: I know. How do we banter? It's all it says in the show notes.
2: <laughs> Casey, I know you've had to... Where have you been for work? You, you have to have gone somewhere and drank something amazing or something absolutely terrible.
3: Texas. And yes. No, um... Texas for the drive-through slushies.
1: Oh, oh, yes. Oh. These the people are the reason why I kept being asked, "Can I get a, uh, can I get a daiquiri to go?" And I'm like, "No, <laughs> yes, no, you cannot have an open container in the car."
3: <laughs> yes. So I figured out how they how they get around that. They put it, they mix it up, blend it, and put it into. Well, let's start out at the beginning. So first off. They probably have 70 or 80 different flavors at this place. And it, it was literally the. What the, other
1: flavors do you need other than strawberry, raspberry? I guess I will say mango.
3: Tiger's bud. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, think, no, that's that's the aftershave they uh, used in in Man. You're making
3: that up. I think it's the Tiger's no, bud strawberry coconut.
1: No. Sorry,
2: you're right. Tiger's blood sex- is uh, Charlie Sheen's blood. Yeah, I was uh, thinking of Sex Panther. Yeah. <laughs> it's got actual bits of panther in it.
3: But yeah, so they, they you pick the flavor, and you know some of the ones are like Hawaiian Punch or whatever, so it's a blend of, they probably have 40 different flavors in the back, but they blend them together to make 70 or 80 different flavors that you can actually get up front.
1: I haven't um, had
3: Hawaiian Punch since middle school. Yeah, so that was a good one. I got that one. Um, and then, so their daiquiri mix is 10% alcohol. But you can add more flavor or more shots to it. And so I ended up with the the day that I went, um, I had finished up with what all I had, and so I was getting ready to head back to the hotel. And I knew that you couldn't drink these in the car. They, they're there to go. So I wasn't going to break that wall. But um, they... We're having a two for one special. So you buy a shot, you get the second one free. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's a dangerous uh, promotion to be running there.
3: Yes. And so it didn't matter what size it was. So if you bought a 12 ouncer, it was like a $1.50 shot or something like that for two shots, really. Um, and then I got a 32 ounce and then a couple 12 ounces. So. Damn. They go and mix them up, and these eventually end up being, I uh, buy six shots, and somewhere around, what's 12 plus 64, uh, somewhere, well, no, no, it was 32, and so it ended up being around 64 ounces of 10%, uh, Everclear solution, basically, Oh God! <laughs> and, and then uh, six additional shots on top of that. So they put them in little styrofoam cups, you put them in your car, and they wrap them in a plastic bag. So that if you open the bag, they can tell. But I mean, the people that were coming in there—you knew they were drinking these going down the road. They weren't waiting until they got back home to to sip on a slush. So um, delicious! Uh, I would highly recommend it. But I I had mine with tacos, and it was perfect.
2: Oh um, yeah, that does sound good.
3: It was the perfect combo.
1: He came up with a good line for the chat, which was uh, in Texas they open carry their daiquiris. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Oh. For sure. Yeah, I think Eskimo Hut was the one that I went to. Smoke had, had seen those before. I, I
1: That seems like the, the picture from the text you sent me.
3: Well <laughs> uh, worth it. Well worth it.
1: Well, So, I haven't been into too much. I will say uh, local favorite uh, brewery, Ethereal, had their anniversary, whatever year it was. And they had a uh, particularly great beer on. I'm trying to remember exactly which one it was. I believe it was called their, I think it was a candy bar Baba Yaga. Mm. And it was, uh, it was a, a, a like salted chocolate mm. with with like the typical Baba Yaga Imperial Stout kind of flavor. Holy crap, it was good. Uh, I, I think that was it. I, I, I can't pull up untapped fast enough to, to verify exactly what it was. They had a whole bunch of stuff, and I had a whole lot to drink there and needed some pizza afterwards to sober up. Indeed. But, oh my god. They were cranking out some amazing stuff. Uh, this was like a couple of weeks ago, but mm, it haunts my dreams. It's <laughs> ne- it's. It's a step below uh, El Coco. Yeah.
3: Did uh, did you get pizza from Goodfellas? I did right next door,
1: of course. Where else would you go? I got pizza from there while also having an old fashioned because you know that's the way to sober up.
3: Exactly. <laughs> so that Goodfellas, I think you may yes. watch the video. Yes, with I things.
1: watched that video with you.
3: Yeah, that was like the the only pizza restaurant that this. Pizza reviewer online got kicked out of because he was reviewing the pizza and was saying it sucked. Yeah. And so uh, this is the same like pizza reviewer who was reviewing pizza with John Hamm and yeah. it was basically like the cast of the Avengers. Ta-
1: no, it wasn't the cast oh, of no, Avengers. Pack. It was the cast of was pack.
3: A- Yeah. Pack. Um.
1: Look, I w- I don't a hundred percent love their pizza.
3: But it's but there.
1: but it's there. It's there, was, and you're drunk. And <laughs> there, I was drunk, and they had uh, breadsticks. I could also have. I was like, no, no, I need carbs to soak up those mile-long
2: breadsticks and the gigantic slices of pizza. So it's like, yeah. oh, I, I can get a breadstick and a piece of pizza, and in a half an hour, I'm good to get home.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now that was generally my plan. Uh, but other than that, been been kind of slow uh that i i've had this empty hole in my heart for some 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 time i don't know why
2: and it can only be filled by you
1: only be filled by booze
2: (laughs) touche (laughs) touche all right how about you
1: guys uh anything exciting been happening
2: well uh i'll go first uh because let's go back to the beginning uh no of our time off close to the beginning we'll start with black friday because guess what Black Friday is Justin's work day and he can't go out shopping for beer. It's bourbon County Woo. So that's there was so- there was one location in all the greater Cincinnati area that was going to have all variants available minus proprietors because again that's Chicago only Chicago uh, and minus the reserve but I was able to double back and get that in Kentucky before the end of the day and that was fine. But there was one place, one little liquor store that's so out of the way that no one ever goes to, and everyone just crossed their fingers and showed up there. I think the first person got there at 1 a.m. Uh, we showed up right about 3 a.m. getting in line. And, uh, I was fifth in line. And they got a total of four cases of each variant, and they altered their limit. Everyone was afraid they were going to really alter it because everywhere else, I don't know how it went in your towns, They said they were like, oh, you get to pick – two of the variants and get one bottle of each and everyone just was like what the hell is up with this but it's just such a small amount went anywhere but this one liquor store got four cases of each and when they showed up and saw the line they were initially promising a limit of two of each variant to everybody so people in line were just like partying over that and they came out like five minutes, four doors, and like, hey, guys, sorry, we're doing this, but we got to change the limits, and everybody's hearts sank. Hmm. And they go, you're still going to be able to get all of them, but you're only going to be able to get one of each. And then everyone was still just kind of like, oh, okay, that's fine. <laughs> because yeah. there were, people drove in from other states because the limits they had there, because you could get everything at that one stop. Whereas everywhere else, you're running around liquor store to liquor store trying to get – you know, whichever ones hadn't sold out that you weren't able to get at the other. Yeah, in the chat. One of each is fine. That's you know, I yeah. one and done, and then I'd cross the river for a later release with the reserve back in Kentucky, and I was able to scoop up some more base and reserve and it was all all good on that front.
1: You get all the variants, you pour them into one cup and then you drink them.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the King's Cup.
1: The King's Cup.
2: Okay, well, uh, besides that, we also had uh, Dark Charge Day down at Braxton.
1: I, okay, I swear, next year, I'll remember that the first Saturday? First Saturday Saturday in December. First Saturday in December,
2: I am going to be ready for Dark Charge Day. The tap list was phenomenal this year, but I was too just dead to the world to hang around and be part of the party that continued at Dark Charge Day, because I showed up the night before for last call at Braxton, got a pint, drank it, and then they escorted me outside.
0: (laughs) I,
1: yeah. You invited me for this, and I can't remember if it was work or something else had gotten in the way, and I couldn't make it up. And I was like, oh, no, it it was another engagement I had agreed to go to. And I was like, oh, God. I spent the whole day just going like, I wish I was up there drinking with Chris.
2: So, uh, yeah, Jim in the chat is saying, I showed up late, Doe, And it's like, well, I showed up early, way too early. So I was there with, like, three other people. I didn't get booted from bracket. It was last call. So they, like, they were closing, and it was like, hey, you guys need to go outside. <laughs> so I just walked outside, and I'd already set my chair up. So I just walked out and sat in my chair. But... <laughs> They closed up, and I went outside at 1 a.m. with three other people that I almost forced to be there that early. They did not want to be there that early. <laughs> but they wanted to be in line and hang out, and I was like, well, that's what time I'm going to be there. So no one else showed up besides us until 5 a.m. So there's was a good four yeah. hours where it was just the three of us chilling out there.
1: There's still like there's still a substantial part of me. I was like, man, I'd have been up there. I'd have been like, man, I'm tired. But
2: screw it, I'm going to make some jokes. An,
0: and, Im- an important point here is that it rained I was almost say, the entire
2: time, and then the rain started, and it was cold, not bitterly cold, because it's been like seven degrees before. Like we have really frozen, but out there, we all decided <sighs> uh, the just the. Torrential rain was worse. Oh yeah. Because it just penetrates everything after a while. So everyone brought uh canopies and tarps and all this stuff, and it looked like I mean, we just had a tent city built <laughs> all down the sidewalk.
1: I, I remember I remember the dark charge day I managed to get up there for and it was like it wasn't raining. It
2: was stupid just cold. Yeah. Bitter cold.
1: The yeah. empanadas were a key. <laughs> but <laughs>
2: Yeah, it gets cold sometimes, you know, December. But we weren't that cold, just soaked to the bone wet. And uh, I really love, so Braxton offered this box set this year that is breathtaking. I've never seen another brewery offer something like this. It comes. It looks like, uh, like an Ark of the Covenant kind of crate, like an awesome packed crate with like straw and everything to hold the bottles. Because the story sounds like complete crap. Behind what happened. But they swear up and down this is what happened. That Because Braxton uh, has a secret warehouse somewhere in town where they keep all their barrel-aged beers, where they basically let them age. And somehow when they switched over from a hand-counted system to uh, a computer system to keep track of what they've got aging...
1: They missed a barrel. The,
2: the last barrel of the original batch of Dark Charge got lost. <gasps> and so apparently a couple months ago, they found it. Like, they found this barrel, and they're like, well, what's in this? And they went back to the paper records, and were like, this is the, from the first, this is the last batch of Dark Charge from the first, from the first batch to the last barrel. So it has been sitting there, barrel aging, for three years. Yeah. So they, they decided, you know what, we're going to set up a vertical Because they already had some of last year's set aside. Like, they just went ahead and put some barrels away. Because I think they were going to try and do, like, some two-year-aged. Because they did that with some of the maple maple barrel stuff. that was pretty good. So, they decided to offer this. You can get a three-year-aged, two-year-aged, and a one-year-aged. And it was $75 for the box set. And the bottles, I think, are 750 mils. And I think it was great. And... uh, this year's base Dark Charge is phenomenal. Like, Ooh. absolutely, it's the best one I've ever tried. Uh, some of the variants kind of missed, but uh, a lot of it is really good.
1: I do love Dark Charge. Uh, anything else, Brittany? You got any, any news? I don't think there's anything really important left.
0: Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, we got a baby.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I mean, important stuff. <laughs> right, right.
2: So yeah, it was a good thing we got the that one. She slipped it in on that one episode because we had uh, some oh yeah <laughs> underlying notes Just, on the last episode <laughs> that we did. With uh, the doctors had talked to us and we were encountering some minor complications, and it was becoming clear to us it was not going to be a two term pregnancy. We did not know how not you to gonna term. be
1: It wasn't going to be pregnant for eight years. <laughs> the baby wasn't sitting there going four more years. Four. More.
2: <laughs> no. Sorry. <laughs> no, his eviction notice was uh, was was there. Yeah. But they'd let us know, so we were. She just kind of worked it in, like there might be a gap in episodes, and then <laughs> lo and behold, it <laughs> <There> was. was. <laughs> it was uh well, two days later.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, okay. We don't want to go into the nitty gritty of all of it. Um. I mean, we we I, can at some point maybe a patron thing. I don't know. But, Maybe,
1: but I do want to say that I got a text message that just said, Thundercats are go. <laughs>
0: yeah, uh, which is required. Um, <laughs> basically, out of nowhere, the breakdown is I had an allergic reaction to a dye in the gummy prenatal vitamins I switched to. Which masked then, which masked
2: which, symptoms of...
0: Then I got cholestasis of pregnancy, which is uh, which affects your liver and can result in stillbirth. Um, if you go full term, Jeez. then, uh, the reason I was actually admitted on top of the colostasis actually was severe preeclampsia,
2: which Sudden is onset, severe preeclampsia, like it, yeah. it kicked in in less than a week. And, and horribly, I was
0: on, um, to, to the point it, at which, uh, so preeclampsia, um, can also endanger the mother and the baby and it involves hypertension. Uh, my blood pressure was so high, I almost had seizures and a stroke Ugh.
1: so it was so, a great birth experience <laughs> I, I don't want to say i don't want to make it light of 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 the danger that was. however, the name preeclampsia makes me think so you named your baby clamps
2: <laughs> no my clamps no. however, I had those same thoughts, okay. sure, but uh. <laughs> Our baby Emmett is here. He is perfectly healthy and fine. Now, laying over there, he's been laying there napping. This whole between episodes, we fed him and changed his diaper, and he has just slept.
1: <laughs> Great, Scott.
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah, he and I've got uh, for those watching the video. I've got a picture of him up there, giving Bob the side eye. Is how I positioned it.
1: <laughs> yeah, that seems, <laughs> that seems right. The time I went to visit him, I got a lot of side eyeing.
2: His side eye game is strong. Like he's given everyone the stink eye he has the funniest is, facial expressions
1: <laughs> and he is britney's child
2: yeah but yeah that was
1: getting all that side eye, i'm like oh i know i know who your mother is
0: but uh but yeah it was it was not the, the most pleasant birth experience and it sucked because he was in special care since he was six weeks early but uh we're, we're all home and we're all you know um well he's sleeping Um, I was going to say, we're all sleeping. That's not true. Uh, But, (laughs) you know, we're all good. Uh, We're figuring it out, schedule-wise.
1: I will
2: say that... Don't
1: you laugh, Casey. You've got this (laughs) coming twofold.
2: But, uh, yeah, that was... uh, He was in special care for five weeks, which meant we couldn't bring him home for five weeks, which was an absolute hell. Uh, I don't wish that on anybody ever to you have a child and you can't bring them home but it was you go and visit them and it is the worst
0: it it was a horrible thing except it was also a little bit nice that we didn't have a lot of guesswork like we had a team of nurses who were like oh here's how you bath him and here's how you do this and i'm like "Eh, okay (laughs) like we we had we got experience changing his diaper there and then you know swaddling and the whole nine so it was good and bad it was it was a mixed bag there.
2: Good for us cuz we're completely out of our support network.
0: We don't know how to baby either. So <laughs> Yeah,
2: it's not like the gra- grandparents are nowhere. The grandparents are, you know, 200 miles away. Yeah. Guys yeah, are doing great.
0: <laughs> but uh, he's he's adorable. We t- we forced he's had a long day. We forced him to take Christmas pictures earlier. Um on, he's we going to
1: have to get used to that. Yeah, cuz yeah, oh
0: no. We've gotten oh, pictures on. earlier the and The number visitors. of pictures we have oh. <laughs> Let me tell you, just get Google Photos. If you're not using Google photos, I'm not really sure what you're doing with your life. Um but <laughs> not
1: not looking at a lot of photos, Brittany. That's that's what I'm doing with my life.
0: Well, I don't see then you don't get to see pictures of the baby as often. Um...
1: <laughs> Touche.
0: <laughs> but uh but yeah, it's it's good and it's an adjustment, but um he's adorable and we love him. <laughs> so
1: we love him too.
0: <laughs> so uh that's that's pretty much what we've been up to. Um yep. I think if if I had been up to anything, couldn't tell you what it was. Couldn't, you don't even remember. I, the last month has been just a <laughs> crazy pants.
2: A blur of driving and sleeping at the hospital.
0: Yeah. Oh, and being very drugged up from <laughs> high blood pressure.
1: Well, you know, you want know what to make you feel better about that, perhaps.
0: <laughs> Announcements. Announcements. Yes, indeed, <laughs> What don't feel better. The having next a script, having
1: a scheduled plan and then in the future will help <laughs> uh, help ease things in.
0: Yeah, I don't know what schedules are anymore. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, <clears throat> our next episode will definitely <laughs> be Saturday, December twenty second. Uh, Is that really? That's I thought it was.
1: Yeah, no. That (laughs) Christmas is a lot closer than you're thinking.
0: That's soon, isn't it? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) uh, So 9 p.m. Eastern, you know, on time this time, uh, it's going to be on Twitch, of course, covering chocolate drinks. Um, That's when we wanted to do like hot chocolate, but we figured we'd encompass a bit more than that. A Lots going on there. Yeah. So
1: can I still drink Bailey's?
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay. I just feel like that seems correct. But Bailey's isn't chocolate, is it? Oh, it's it's not. if it oh,
0: you, you can get that uh that awesome like Godiva chocolate yeah. liqueur.
2: Ooh. Yeah. Mm.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: <laughs> uh, oh
1: no. I Look, I still need to be drunk. I can't perform without.
0: <laughs> but yeah, I would go for the Godiva stuff. Well, anyway. you know
2: where you're gonna be. Uh... Expected to be drunk and perform at Uh, (laughs) Drink-tacular. Friday, February 22nd to Sunday, February 24th, 2019 in Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, It's lined up for brewery tours, brewery hopping, bottle shares of, you know, various things. It's going to be a good time, guys. Uh,
1: Maybe this this time I'll be aware of when I'm in burial and go,
2: oh, I should be paying more attention. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So... um, it's free. It's free. Just book your rooms, your flights, whatever. Get to Asheville, North Carolina that weekend. Those aren't free. We're not paying for No, those, no, we're not paying for those. No. We're not paying for your rooms either. We're paying for your tours. <laughs> so yeah. we're all just going to go palling around. We've got some fun stuff that we're planning. Uh, definitely a behind-the-scenes at New Belgium is already booked, and that is not the standard free tour. It is a tour we've shelled out a few hundred dollars for, so it's going to be a good beer geek behind the scenes tour. I think it lasts like hour and a half, two hours. Like it's a long oh. tour. Yeah. And New Belgium gets you gets you going while you're there with the free the free drinks. So uh, yeah, guys, come out there and hang out with us February twenty second through the twenty fourth in Asheville, North Carolina.
0: Okay, so. Uh final update which we've not gotten to update for jeez, a month now
1: and I've been watching I've been I've been
2: keeping track but
0: yeah yeah uh we've
2: been all over the board
0: at this point all but one of our movies is out so
2: and yeah I'm very <laughs> nervous because our final movie has the embargoes lifted on reviews and they're very middling
0: yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> a uh but okay let's let's check in with big Voice J.
1: Welcome to Movie Draft Minute presented by TV for the week of December 12th, 2018. I'm your host, Big Boy Shane. Pro tip, don't go crazy. Go normal. They'll never see it coming. Let's go to the scoreboard! Team Movie Party's in last place with Spider Man Into the Spider Verse's $12 million debut bringing their total to $115.2 million. Team Drunkage Gaming is in fifth place with $217.1 million. Team Von Squad's in fourth place with $246.2 million. Team Game Night's in third place with $354.3 million. Team Have a Drink is in second place with $404.6 million. And in first place with Mortal Engines bringing in $2.8 million, it's Team Ritual Misery with four hundred twenty-five point four million dollars. That's
3: your movie draft minute all totals the record as of December fifteenth, two thousand
1: eighteen. So We're
3: not too far off the leap. man. No, and the real way. Real quick,
1: real quick, big voice Jay, who made this for us very recently. Like <laughs> man's a na- man's a national treasure. Yes, yes. Uh, Nicholas Cage is going to find him one day.
2: <laughs> Thank you, Jay. Thank you very much. So we, if you look at the returns. On investment and all this, like everyone's going on about, oh, we overpaid for the Grinch. The Grinch nah. is within two million dollars of the of uh, what Wreck It Ralph is grossing week over week. Oh,
1: Wreck It Ralph is not, and
2: and the Grinch is in like its sixth, seventh week of release because mm-hmm. it's
0: one of the few. Or no, it's the only Christmas movie, isn't
2: it? It like, is the only anime, about Christmas. It's you know? the only movie that's centered around Christmas.
0: Wow. I think that was that that's was at least smart. I'm surprised about some of the reviews from Mary Poppins, but we still have to wait and see how it actually does because reviews from critics and reviews things like that don't yeah always don't
2: matter. mean don't mean anything. But uh, they don't
1: at the same time. Like
2: I, if they're like they're middling, I'm like,
1: yeah, that's kind of what I was afraid of when we got it, but I was hoping for was hoping for more.
2: I say the Grinch, if you pay attention to reviews, is a turd. Like yeah. it has awful reviews. Oh. I want to see it still. Go care. to Rotten Tomatoes and it is uh, it is not uh, fresh.
0: Mm. <laughs> eh. well, but people yeah. are going to see it.
2: That's what matters.
0: Kids want to see it is an important
2: thing. And yeah. still still that good uh, nostalgia play for Mary Poppins Returns. Because everyone's like, it's just a carbon copy of the original. And it's like, yeah, that's what people want.
1: It, that is it's what like, people want. And... Like, <laughs>
2: uh,
1: you know, I was looking back at the draft and the one thing I wish, and we probably could have gotten with the money we had I gotten just a little bit higher i could have gotten creed too mm. and what is that it? that that could have made us a little bit more money than say girl with the a... that oh, tanked
2: yeah. that didn't get us that got us maybe two million dollars total it...
0: uh, oh the grinch got a it's a 50 percent 7 percent around me yeah so i gotta is. go check
2: <laughs> but look how much like okay go to box office mojo and check out yeah
0: it's it's made 230 million dollars but look
2: at its uh weekend grosses versus wreck it ralph's like they're within like two million dollars yeah, of each yeah. other
1: yeah, no. This current weekend, it's about a, about a million apart. But yeah, it's. Uh, sorry, I, we're not going to win. I it's, know we're not going to win. It's a tricky wanna... season. It is. Winter is winter is a harder season. Yeah. As as we learned when we played, not publicly. Yeah,
2: you know, <laughs> winter you know, is
1: winter is harder.
0: You know what? Um, I'm I'm uh, now that I've seen slash heard. Uh, a lot of the reviews for Aquaman, I am really interested to see what that makes because people are actually saying it's really great.
1: Uh, someone, one of my friends went to go watch it, uh, I guess today, and I I haven't heard back from him how how it was. I've been afraid.
2: My fingers. Are I crossed. still want to see it. Like I don't really care. It's, I, I want to see it. It and Bumblebee have uh, competing like the audiences are the exact same almost, so they're going to really be stealing from each other's box office.
0: It's got a seventy percent on Rot- Rotten Tomatoes
2: aquaman does that's roughly mary poppins had like a 77
0: mary poppins isn't even out yet
2: it's the review embargoes and actually it came out wednesday i think
0: i thought it came out next week sorry okay
2: either way yeah Yeah. anyway anyway all right uh in other news news (laughs) (laughs) okay we've been gone for a while and I think the week we started our little break, which I don't know, I was jokingly talking with uh gnarly gnome since he proved cast. That uh yeah, uh three year season one, not bad, right? We can just go and call mm. that our, our season break. You know, we want to do three <laughs> year seasons. Go. Yeah. That's that's <laughs> the new standard. A season is three years. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I have to wait three we're in, <laughs> years. we're in we're in Goram Westeros. <laughs> All right, well, uh, a nice uh, nice little thing decided to pop up at uh, everyone's favorite Trillium Brewing Company. So their labor practices and brewing methods were uh, called into question. So uh, what what started? We'll, we'll dial the clock back here because we're still catching up. Some of you may have missed this. Let's I don't go, know go how. back
1: to the wayback machine.
2: Yeah, the Wayback Machine, only ours is in even worse shape. It's more of like a hamster wheel. So Massachusetts craft beer maker Trillium Brewing Company's labor practices and brewing methods are under scrutiny after accusations were logged last week by a self-described former employee in an online beer forum. According to the former employee who used the name Abigo Fit uh, in a beer advocate forum, Trillium required its retail employees to reapply for jobs... They already held prior to last month's opening of the company's new brewery, Tap Room and Restaurant in Boston's Fort Point neighborhood. The ex worker wrote that the base compensation okay. for them-
3: Let me pause right there. Okay. <clears throat> they are applying for jobs that they already have in a different location. Yes. So, oh, lo- okay. just that clarification.
1: So yeah, it doesn't sound like, oh, weird.
3: you aren't employed, and now you are at the same exact job.
2: Well, Yeah, that, that's what sounded weird to me. So keep, thank you, Casey. Keep in mind, yes, what Casey brought up is a very good you know, thing you have to clarify moving into this. Keep in mind, it is the exact same job at a new location. The ex-worker wrote that the base compensation for employees who had worked for more than three years at the brewery was cut from $8 to $5 an hour to work the exact same job across the street. All right. So they two, had to... Two, uh,
1: two, two points. <laughs> one going back to the, the original one of, of reapplying for a job. Being able to transfer to a job should be a pretty easy thing to do.
2: And carrying your current, current salary. salary. Yeah. No, they had to take a pay cut to go across the street.
1: Now... I'm assuming. Wait. So, how are they getting five dollars an hour? Is this like bartending?
2: It's yeah, it tips.
3: Well, but they're not bartenders. No, they are. They are ser- selling packaged beer from the front counter,
2: and yeah. that that's where a, a lot of the big stink came up because everyone's sitting around going, "I'm not tipping someone if I just come in and buy cans and leave. If I don't order a drink to consume there, I'm not tipping."
1: That's a, uh, yeah, the panda thing. Eat, shoots, and leaves.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, it's... if you're not drinking, you're not eating. <laughs> that's where my comma goes. <laughs> so that may not sound like a lot, but that's a 37.5% cut that would have been six, at least $6,000 a year for full-time staff, the worker wrote. In Massachusetts, the state minimum wage is $11 an hour, although the minimum wage is just three seventy five an hour for tipped employees. The state mandates employees receive at least $11 per hour once tips and wages are added in. If an employee's wages and tips don't add up to $11 an hour, it's up to the employer to make up the difference. Man, that's a good law. So, yeah. And <laughs> Sorry, those, I was like,
1: from, from working somewhere where I got stiffed a lot, I was like, man, that's a...
2: So, uh, someone that uh, we know who used to work at a restaurant for tips was told to fudge their tip numbers at the end of the night to make it look like they uh, at least made made what the minimum wage would have been, an hour. So that the restaurant didn't have to make that up to them. Hmm. Say, sure, I'll fudge the numbers,
3: <laughs> but you're still paying me. At the but end they of the
2: were month. not getting paid out. The, like It was <clears> just <throat> them saying, no, if you want to keep this job, you have to do this.
3: Because at that point, you report to the labor board. They can't <laughs> fire you because it's retaliation. And you get... I think it's you get, like, five times the sum as punitive damages.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I
3: was going to say, like, that's when you go
1: talk to a lawyer friend and go, I'm going to get paid.
3: <laughs> you don't even have to go to that. You go to the state attorney. Um, oh, yeah. And, and you don't have to pay for a lawyer. There's your, there's your little tidbit right
2: there. All right, well, that's that's a, a brief aside <laughs> uh, moving back to Trillium.
1: Have, the, have a law.
2: <laughs> the former employee claimed that J.C. and Esther uh, – I could never say the last name. Tetrio? Tretznot. Tretznot. Whatever. Who founded the brewery in 2013 and helped popularize the hazy and juicy New England style of IPAs, knew they could get workers to accept lower salaries in order to build their resumes. Despite the wage cuts, the worker acknowledged that retail staff make well over minimum wage and might be the highest paid staff per hour with tips in the entire place. The issue is not about total compensation, the ex-worker continued. It's about management uh, pretending to care about employees and calling them family, etc., then cutting wages and making them lie to customers. Mm. Uh, JC declined to be interviewed for this story, writing in an email that the company is still attempting to unravel how we got here. He referred... uh, "Yeah." referred Brewbound to a statement the company issued on its website Monday evening. In that statement addressing the company's customers, friends, and family, the company (laughs) said that it had restored the base compensation of tenured employees whose pay was cut. We apologize that this has caused any of our employees, customers, or friends to doubt in any way the integrity of Trillium or other ongoing support of us. Uh, We are fortunate that we've assembled such a talented team and remain committed to brewing exceptional beer that we can share with our family, friends, and... Wow, they really like to say that a lot. Our family, friends, and customers.
1: Which is just funnier and funnier when you think about what the ex-employee said. Yeah. Uh, Trillium added
2: that (laughs) Which
3: one do you fall in? Family, friends, or customer? Because you don't have to like family.
2: So here's... here's the, The next bit here is kind of icing on the cake, which is leading... The industry, like this is where the conversation really starts because it's not looking at Trillium going, oh, this is really crappy of them to do. Trillium added it is working with the Massachusetts Brewers Guild to start a discussion with other local breweries to help each other identify best practices for the benefit of our employees and our customers. And this is a quote, we pay our team in accordance with typical standards in the craft beer industry and with state and federal wage and hour laws feedback on our model from our staff has been overwhelmingly positive we listen to feedback and try to respond quickly to improve the experience of our team and our customers and they are completely right what Trillium is doing is how it is in most craft breweries like they, those people are not getting paid a lot, I've applied and interviewed for several jobs <laughs> in craft breweries and none of them pay anything like they they don't want to pay anybody for a thing. Like they want to give you the least they can.
1: Well, I mean, I feel like most places want to give you the least they can.
2: Well, it's it's not even like a oh well we you know this this kind of you need mechanical knowledge for this job, and they're looking for they. Lo- I won't name breweries, but places we're looking for people to be canning line operators with like, five years experience not on a canning line, but like, machining like, working (laughs) heavy equipment and the such for over five years, and they're looking to pay them eh, $11 an hour yeah and you just stop and look and like I can't pay rent for $11 an hour what?
1: (laughs) yeah, that's the the problem, like, you know, you want to support a local you know, local business or whatever, but at the same time like they they have to compete with with bigger bigger people who can afford to pay more. Yeah. So, you know that I don't know. Like it feels like I could see several of them making the decision to cut costs by not paying their workers as
2: much. It's and it's also a thing you know. Like not saying
1: good. it's a good practice. I'm just seeing. Yeah. I can see the thought process that leads there.
2: If you're going to well, work I mean, in craft, you're working for the love of it. And for, you know, you are passionate about craft beer. <laughs> that's what brought you. You didn't come into it really to make money. That's that's kind of like what, when I went to school, I, they even told us because I went to school for archaeology. And they're like, yeah, you better be in this because you love it because you're not going to make dollar one. <laughs> and they did not lie to me.
1: Now, I do think that uh, uh, some places that have gotten a little bit bigger do a better job of it i i I don't know new belgium's pay scale but from the sound of like their benefits package they tend to be a little bit kinder to their employees Hmm. i can't say that for certain but that's that's my understanding from from what we've researched on them
2: yeah but what this uh, overall so this has called into light what the industry is doing as a whole and uh, it's coming on down here. Uh, the Boston Globe reported that about two thirds of Trillium's 285 workers are full time and eligible to receive benefits, which, which include health and dental insurance, 401k with company match, uh, an annual cash bonus, free beer, and annual charitable match uh, or donation matching. Nevertheless, uh, a current employee told Globe that. Tips have decreased since Trillium's new four-point outpost opened in late October. Uh, we're dissatisfied because the n- number that we've been getting in our checks has dropped, and not insignificantly, a current employee told the outlet. Since the issues were raised last week, customers have left scathing comments on social media posts, uh, advertising new-release beers priced at as much as 22 dollars a four-pack. One commenter shared a Photoshopped label of Trillium's cutting tiles, double IPA, name change to cutting wages. <laughs> huh. Staff pay was the only issue raised in the Beer Advocate Forum. The former employee also accused Trillium of cutting corners in the brewing process, including pouring tequila into kegs of a beer and promoting the beer as being barrel-aged to customers commenter also claimed that management instructed workers to lie to customers about the beer's origins and later tell consumers that the tequila flavor was brewer's magic. Quote, they straight up dumped tequila into kegs, the commenter wrote. I'm no lawyer, but I know it is illegal. Trillium did you has,
3: say that, did you, Casey, did you say that was illegal? No, or... It's illegal because... Okay. The that's same reason you can't buy when you buy Smirnoff ices in the grocery store that's a malt beverage that's made with as, as a beer, yes. but you can't buy those that are made with rum in a grocery store.
2: Trillium has yet to address those allegations, and something tells me that if any uh, federal regulation industry is going to look into this. This might become a much, much bigger thing. But, yeah, they do uh, bring up the frozen slushes. Uh, the poster also claimed frozen beer slushies were made from leftover beer that contained trub, a hoppy yeast malt byproduct that settles at the bottom of fermentation tanks. And growlers Ugh. are also filled with trub kegs. That's kind of gross.
3: So they they said a lot of times they through these... Things that people would say about this company, they would say, "Oh no, that's not true," or "No, that's that's it's kind of industry standard the way we do it. It's not like that." With this one, they didn't even address it. They were just, they were just like, "Okay, <laughs>
2: yep, yeah, the, the, <laughs> yeah, time. sure, cool story, bro." <laughs> they will exactly. neither confirm nor deny <laughs> because there may be security camera footage of these activities happening. I'm sure that that footage has now been lost or. Deleted off of memory banks. All right, so that's when this all started. So, uh, just as recently as December 7th, we have now Trillium increases hourly wages for retail workers. Sorry, I'm going to try and plow through this because we ran long starting on that. Nearly two weeks after self described former employee raised questions about Trillium Brewing Company's labor and brewing practices in an online forum, the Massachusetts craft brewer has increased the hourly base pay for its retail employees. Uh, they uh, have a statement from Trillium, Always Improving Brewery founder J.C. and Esther, whatever, can't say the last name, said they've increased pay of their 35 retail workers from between $5 and $8 an hour to 15 and 18 plus tips to provide their employees with a more predictable paycheck. That's a hefty pay increase. Yeah. Additionally, retail employees... Have the opportunity to increase their hourly wages as they complete educational programs. The company is also transitioning its bonus program from a tenure-based system to one uh, with a merit-based component. Scrutiny of Trillium's labor practices began in late November when a former employee, blah blah blah, you all know,
1: we discovered all that. Yeah,
2: yeah. So uh, Trillium, which has grown to include the Fort Point operation, a brewery and tap room in Canton. A seasonal beer garden on the Rose Kennedy Greenway and a proposed farmhouse brewery in Connecticut now employs 286 workers. About two-thirds of those employees, including 22 retail staff members, are full-time and receive benefits such as health and dental insurance, 401k, blah, blah, blah. We talked about all that. Uh, We've got a lot of managers, and there are a lot of people that make Trillium as successful as it is. Sometimes decisions are made that aren't the right thing or things get missed. It's kind of, I feel like getting missed
1: is not an accurate description of forgetting to pay your people properly.
2: Yeah, or going, hey, you want to you want to do your job over at the new place? That's great. You're taking a pay cut. Um, yeah, yeah. So basically, they raised the, the still not addressing issues of dumping tequila straight into kegs of beer and selling it as yep. tequila barrel aged. Like they don't, or, they're,
1: they're, or they're weird uh, uh, dregs of whatever for slushies. but
2: the, Well, they claim they're wet. So asked by Brewbound, who we got both of these articles from, if Trillium had ever poured spirits into its beer barrels, uh, straight from one of the founders said, that is not something we do. We get all of our barrels wet, she explained. So from port to sherry to tequila to rum, those barrels all have residue alcohol in them which is the whole reason that it imparts that flavor.
1: So when they say wet, do they mean they just poured a bottle of Jose into their barrel and like shook it up real hard?
2: I think that's probably what actually happened, but she's trying (laughs) to say they got such freshly dumped barrels that, you know, there's still residue in them.
1: It's like them saying, like they opened up the keg and went, hey guys, there's a whole bottle of tequila left in here. (laughs) Well, you look at that, pre-packaged and everything. (laughs) <laughs> no, I don't mean, I don't mean, uh, in, uh, like just loose. It's in the bottle and labeled and everything.
2: So yeah, that's, uh, I don't know if we're going to say all's good with Trillium and everyone's going to just keep, you know, lining up in the thousands to buy their beer. I'll still drink it at Lion Chairs whenever I come across it because they do make a pretty good product whenever I'm able to have it.
1: And I'll most most likely forget about this in the next few weeks.
2: Well, this uh, is shining a light on what the industry is doing with business practices overall.
1: True. And I do like that, that apparently putting their feet to the fire will make them improve that. But Yeah.
3: Call me hardened. Call me uh, shrewd. But as, call- far as, as far as you get on these, these types of issues, the market will support what the market will support. And so the brewer side is saying that the act that you are working at a brewery because you want to do it is part of the compensation. And the employee side saying that it's not enough money and, and you know, we need paid more. At the end of the day, it'll work out so that, you know, you make less money you if you want to work at a brewery. But if you want to go and get a job where you go and do a nine-to-five, you're going to make a little bit more money, but you'll have to be there nine-to-five
2: exactly so that's like again like i said i've applied and interviewed for many brewery jobs and then after going to the interview yep. crossed my fingers and hoped i didn't get a call back because i was like yeah. i can't live that, off of that
1: didn't want an awkward conversation of
2: yeah i'm sorry i can't yeah i can't work for that i'll continue to enjoy your beer but I uh, no <laughs> i can't live oh, off yeah. of the wage you're offering
3: absolutely
1: yeah, I I get that, but that said, like I know how how difficult it can be for some people to to make ends meet with uh, tip based uh, income. So especially when they're making like two thirty an hour or something.
2: Oh yeah, but I mean, one of the, the big things there that was called into question was. It's the retail workers. Like you have people who, yeah. during on release days, all they're doing is cranking that register for people. Buying no, no, cans. yeah, and, and that's no what one... I'm
1: saying. Like they're treating them as tip based in a position mm-hmm. where the the societal norm is not to tip those people.
2: Exactly, because right. they're not they're not providing a service for those customers coming in. They are well. They're, they're just they're checking a, service, a
3: weird issue but... all to itself.
2: Yeah, <laughs> like we we can we could go a while probably on. This oh yeah, is weird. On yeah, the tipping and how it needs to go away, but punishing your server for it is not the way to go about this. And don't don't be Mr. Pink. <laughs> exactly. We maybe.
3: Get... I mean, maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't need to go away. There's there's uh, issues no, 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 on no. the other side there.
1: Well, yeah, we were just making the case that yeah, don't yeah. Don't be Mr. Pink from Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> he just doesn't. Doesn't tip. Don't rob banks and <laughs> tip your servers. Yeah, he
3: dies in the end.
2: Exactly. Whoa, no, spoilers no, He lives. Oh well. He does, maybe.
1: yeah, he does. The, the, the person probably most like Tarantino in the movie, aside from Tarantino himself, <laughs> survives that movie. Hmm.
2: Alright. Well, uh opinions will be everywhere. That's a that's gonna be a hot button issue for a while. Uh will you still still drink Trillium? Don't email us about that. She <laughs> can email us about a lot of stuff. Eh. E- email Casey about that. Yeah. Or try and try and track me down somewhere and get in my craw about it, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's lighten the mood with some Untapped.
3: Get r- riggedy, riggedy, wrecked, son!
2: Also, I just like the phrase craw. Get in my so
0: craw. That's a That's a new phrase there.
1: I was... For a minute there, I was like, "Wait, no, no." His name was Crow from Mystery Science Theater.
2: Yeah,
1: not Crawl. Anyway, Bell's Fireside Favorites is a new badge you can get. Well, the 2018 variant is, anyway. Uh, as the holiday season kicks into full gear and snow begins to fall, what better, uh, what's better than relaxing next to the fireplace with the delicious craft beer? Not much if you ask us. This year, Bell's Brewery invites you to enjoy their fireside favorites, which includes Bell's Winter White, Christmas Ale, Amber Ale, and Two Hearted Ale. Because nothing says Christmas to me like their year round offering. <laughs> no matter uh, no matter your choice, each of these delicious brews is a perfect is perfect for unwinding during the holidays. Pick your favorite. Gotten by the cozy fire and crack it open. Be sure to check it. Check in to unlock the brand new badge. So be checking to one of the any of the fireside favorites. But you know whatever I just said, between uh, September third and December first, uh, December third, December third, and January third. Uh, and Bill's fireside favorites badge is yours. All right. What's uh, what's next in untapped?
2: Well, we've got... Uh, I saw these and passed because it was all uh, bombers this year. And I, now I'm going, damn it! <laughs> I'm going to go find one because it is delicious. So we've got uh, Laguanitas Willetized Coffee Stout. Latest release from Laguanitas is a smoky, coffee, bourbony barrel-aged beast working with her friends at Kentucky's own Willet Distillery uh, they were able to score some bourbon barrels in which they added their Imperial Stout. The result is this year's batch of Willetized Coffee Stout, and it's hitting shelves just in time to warm up your holidays. Get your hands on this beastly combo of chocolate, coffee, bourbon, and you'll unlock the brand-new badge. All you have to do is check into one Laguanitas Willetized Coffee Stout during the month of December, and the aptly named Laguanitas Willetized Coffee Stout badge is yours.
1: Sounds sounds kind of tasty, actually.
2: All there is. Every year they do this with like a different uh, distillery, or just I guess yeah. whoever they can score barrels from. Because the, they did the High Westified, and that was delicious.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, next up we have our uh, our old favorite Bells <laughs> <laughs> again. <laughs> show, Bells. Show again, favorite. yeah. Uh, I like the I like the look of this badge. Sorry, Bells Dark Night, darker beers.
1: In brightest day, and blackest night, <laughs> evil shall escape my sight. Indeed. Those who worship evil's might, wear my power. Green lantern's light. Sorry.
0: I was wondering how felt far like you had, were going to go. Felt in. like I had to do it. Uh, the darkest night of the year is upon us as the winter solstice approaches and Bell's Brewery is celebrating all week long. Having brewed a wide variety of stouts for 30 years, Bell's is the perfect companion for this once-a-year event. Whether you're enjoying Kalamazoo, Expedition, or Black Note, there's no wrong choice. So uh, all you have to do is check into one... I
1: I think I have three of those in my refrigerator right (laughs) now.
0: Um, So you get to check into one of the stouts listed here. There's actually a decent list. Uh, Between December 15th, so literally today, and the 22nd, so right after the solstice is over. uh, Or after the solstice starts. And you'll earn the Bell's Dark Night Darker Beers twenty eighteen badge. Um, yeah, there are quite a few on here, but you know you got. I've never heard of some, the oatmeal
2: ch- stout, um, chestnut stout, sweet potato stout. Oh,
1: I don't know if I want a sweet potato stout.
2: Rye stout, smoked stout. Uh, I'll try
1: it, but a sweet potato seems strange.
2: The Java stout, I've seen that one. I've had. I love the Java Stout, uh, and I'm going to try and score some Arabica, Arabica Dabra, because I've yet to have that. And that's Arabica,
1: one. Arabica Dabra, I want to reach out and grab
2: you. <laughs> Got to make it about coffee somehow.
1: I, no, no, I make it about what Steve Miller said it was supposed to be about. <laughs> Fried shrimp,
3: shrimp can't be. At what point bar. did
2: I say Bubba Gump? I'm pretty sure. Uh, who was someone in uh, the Discord who was at the general store? Uh, rather recently, was posting the uh, coffee's on was indeed on and on draft, and I, I want that. I want that so bad. I need that in me.
3: I was just saying, with all the stouts that you were talking about, it reminded me of that scene.
1: Oh yeah. From oh, Gump. oh okay. I'm sorry. I misunderstood
3: sweet potato stout <laughs> or Yaw it's just stout coffee
1: stout, stout. stout. stout.
2: oatmeal right. stout overlord stout rye stout <laughs> Smoked stout 30th anniversary stout
0: Does anybody else want shrimp though after <laughs> that, after that? Uh,
1: you know well, bob it's...
0: you never want shrimp again that's not the point
1: <laughs> give me a couple of years to go <laughs> <sighs> Can we right. move on to another segment before I murder Casey through the internet? Nope. no we can got... certainly move on to
3: one more badge.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. That's fine. I get to murder Casey through the internet still, though? Wait, why not? <laughs> okay.
3: Looking for a bit of tropical goodness this winter? Because why not? Look no further <laughs> than Founders Azaka IPA, named after the uh, Haitian god uh, of agriculture. Azaka yeah. Hop has an intense tropical aroma with hits of citrus and mango. Your taste buds will worship this heavenly hopped delight, and your eyes will enjoy the brand new badge you can unlock by checking into one Azaka IPA in December. Oh, man.
1: I love Azaka.
3: Sorry.
2: It's, it's tasty. One. Yeah, it, it's damn good. Damn fine. Mm-hmm. Damn fine. You know what else is damn mm. fine? I'm rotten on this episode.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <So>. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right. Some fine wine from Robert Mondawgy.
3: Like
2: Evidence a You makes lie! He
1: said, you lie, Bumper? Our
2: our our tolerance is down. Yeah, uh, take a long break. Uh, beers, mine definitely is. Beer's uh, been tested.
1: <laughs> uh, all right, so citation page. Today's
3: most, I was just going to say, most of today's uh, uh, information was taken from The House of Mandavi*, a book by Julian Flynn Seiler.
1: Nice. Uh, yeah, we're talking about uh, the Mandavi winery. Winery? What's yeah. the difference between a vineyard and a winery?
3: Mm. Wineries make the wine. Vineyards grow the just, grapes. Just grow grapes? Okay, so they don't
1: act... <laughs> Do they not grow grapes as well?
3: I mean, we'll probably well, find out. But uh, Well, wineries today, so your big wineries that you're going to go to uh, the grocery store, invite them in every grocery store, they usually do not buy their own grapes. And instead, they will purchase grapes from other vineyards and then just blend them all together.
1: All right. So mm. to make sure I understand, they do not grow their own grapes. They will buy them from someone.
3: With larger wineries, yes. OK, but they may some some wineries may have an estate blend that they mm-hmm. grow their own grapes in order to make that wine. OK, that's
1: fine. Uh, all right. So Robert Mondalve was born one of four children to Cesare Mondalve, which is a fun name to say, uh, and
3: Rosa Grassi,
1: uh just uh, in just four years in Virginia, Minnesota, is born in four years.
3: Four children, four years
1: children per year, not, it took four years to birth him.
3: Yeah, it ended up, I think there was one like in December of one year and then it skipped a year and then it was like three back to back.
1: There were some uh, uh, Irish twins, as they're called. <laughs> it's what we called my my uh, uh, math teacher's kids. Two in one year in high school. Anyway, Robert father's, uh, Robert's Father and mother came to the U.S. in the belly of a steamer ship, but around uh, around 100 berths and yet only a single toilet. Ugh. Gross. Uh, when they arrived on a freezing rainy day uh, at Ellis Island, they were processed and boarded a train to Minnesota, where Cesare's brother and other Central Italians had come to find new life as miners, hauling ore. Iron ore, to be specific. It's not Cesare's first time in America, however. He had come in 1906 and spent two years working uh, before returning to Italy. Went back home, he started courting his future wife. And soon after their wedding, they had moved back to America together. In 1910, the couple began having their four children, just constantly from the sound of it, (laughs) Mary, Helen, Robert, and Peter. Around the same time, Cesare's brother was killed in a mining accident. He swore vengeance against the mine and doffed a cape and Cow. He swore. What
2: do you say? make I, I the just... miners fear. Oh, I think I'm going off script. He's standing outside the mine, cursing it. <laughs> uh,
1: the dangers of mining uh, with the young family and the small wages were too much. The family opened up a small grocery store in uh, Virginia, Minnesota. That's a confusing name. <laughs> hmm. uh, the business did, did well, so Cesare sold his portion of the business and opened a saloon for the Italian immigrants to drink more of their familiar beverages. Drink more familiar beverages. Just wine. All I can think of when I say it like that is uh, um, uh, Orson Welles doing the wine ad.
2: Oh, yeah,
1: champagne, like it's not regular champagne. Orson, are you drunk? <laughs> Shut up. <sighs> oh, sorry. Anyway, the family had a. It small was like
3: house. the long drink, uh, or the the glass of water herb around <laughs> the world. <laughs> that, like, at the at the. Uh, Republican rebuttal to the state of the union a few years ago.
1: <laughs> oh, <laughs>
3: you know, I'm not going to get too, too in
1: depth with that. Anyway, uh, the, the family house only, uh, had only a small house with only three bedrooms and one bathroom. Uh, again, man, these guys really don't like to poop. Uh, but the money they made started, uh, inviting boarders to stay with them. Jesus. They just don't want anyone to go to the bathroom. <laughs> At one point, they had fifteen boarders in the house at once. Even though Rosa forbade any, forbade any kind of debauchery, and gambling, each uh, boarder was allowed to keep their own a fifty gallon barrel of wine in the basement. <laughs>
2: wow! Man, later you on, are... In, you are sending some mixed messages. So can can I get that drawn into my leases from here on? I, I feel like some of uh, the members in our Discord need uh, need such a clause. <laughs> In any kind of it wouldn't be wine.
1: It would have to be barrels of
2: whiskey. It'd have to be scotch in some
1: cases. (sighs) During the dark ages of prohibition, Americans were permitted to make their own wine at home, uh, something Cesare was already doing, because, you know, (laughs) let's not screw around here, guys. Man needs a drink. Um,. But the climate in uh, of Minnesota was not suitable for growing grapes. So in 1919, when prohibition was in full effect, went into full effect, Cesare hopped on a train and to moved towards uh, Lodi, California. Purchased grapes for an entire Italian American club of Minnesota. Cesare fell in love with the similarities to his homeland. It was more uh, uh, homeland as well. It was more acceptable to the people of California to his Italian immigrants, and moved his family to the region. And I was going to say, like, man, I'm pretty sure the Mandolvis. Don't have a, you know, don't have a historic tradition in, in Minnesota.
3: Minnesota. Minnesota. And Minnesota. It's actually Mundovi. <laughs> Mundovi.
2: Mundovi. <laughs> You're slipping into an <laughs> Irish accent there.
1: Uh, once in California, Cesare created a grape and fruit wholesaling business. The family began to rise in the hierarchy of the area. And uh, they went from a small home of six bedroom house while the children were uh, sent to private uh, small home to a six bedroom house where the children were sent to a private Catholic school. Hmm. Oh, yes, indeed. Uh, when when Robert, the eldest son, was 13, the sons began helping with the family business. <laughs> they waited till he was 13. The rest of y'all. Right. Get to work. <laughs>
3: Well, th- yeah, he was, he was the eldest son, so he turned 13. His brother was still 12, but they were like, you know, you, you're good Close, to go. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> Get to work. Uh, they were paid a
1: dollar twenty-five for every hundred boxes they nailed together, and they could make up to $25 a day. That's a lot of boxes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the same wage were paid, uh, was paid to other workers. Uh, their wage from the summer was put into account to be saved for them, and they together they saved nearly fifteen
3: thousand dollars. Jesus,
2: at, at the a, age of thirteen,
3: a thirteen-year-old in nineteen
2: twenty, give yes. take? yeah, that's crazy. The 19.
3: story. I wonder so, what yeah. that
2: is in for inflation. Like if you adjust, I think like
3: five times or something like that. Probably that's crazy. Uh,
1: Let's see. Inflation calculator. Uh, Sure, let's use this one. From
3: Morgan Freeman? Yes, actually. (laughs)
1: Uh, From 1920, we said. Okay, well, I can't use 2018, so let's use 2017. And that gets us to... Yeah. yeah. That's right? uh <laughs> Yeah. Uh hundred and eighty seven thousand and fifty two dollars. What fifty seven cents.
2: As a thirteen and a twelve year old?
3: That was a lot of boxes. Over
2: a hundred grand. Yeah.
3: So this was from all their summers. It wasn't just one summer yeah. that they saved this up, but but still, you know, if you could make twenty five dollars a day back then. Let's see, that's like making in today's dollars.
1: I already closed that window.
3: $300 a day in today's dollars. Although, this is probably 1923. Let me just make sure because that was a weird time. Yeah, about the same.
1: It shouldn't change too Uh, much between.
3: The depression was the only thing that I was kind of.
1: Yeah, the depression is 10 years later.
3: Okay. Yeah, 35, I
1: guess. So, yeah. Uh, the story of Robert Mondalvi and his brother Peter uh, having a competition over how many boxes they could nail together has become sort of the mythos of the life of Robert. Uh, yes, when his brother Peter started, brought in a, uh, a box-making machine, Robert sat there and built them until his heart gave out.
2: So this isn't the same. It just reminded me a similar story of two enterprising brothers, uh, a recent episode of uh, Stuff You Should Know when they did uh, Puma and Adidas. Hmm. <laughs> Oh. That was great... Okay. One of those, those they were, were brothers. brothers. They were two brothers from a little town in Germany where they uh what was it? I think the majority of the town were employed as uh cobblers. Like for what this town was obsessed with making shoes. <laughs> and they started a company together and uh short story short or long story short, uh the Nazis took over <laughs> for World War II and turned the shoe factory into a an anti-tank rocket factory.
1: You sure they weren't like a a alien tomato sombrero defeating pair of brothers that also fought cats and old elderly grandmothers?
2: I mean it's all possible. They were two brothers. Two brothers.
3: I'm not following this one. Rick, Rick and Mori, Mori. Um,
2: Interdimensional Cable.
3: Yeah. Gotcha.
2: Anyway. <laughs>
1: Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, Robert studied many other way uh, the uh, the way others nailed boxes together. To see the most efficient way. He trained throughout the summer to improve his time. At the final showdown, Robert nailed more than two thousand boxes. Jesus, <laughs> winning the competition and declaring himself the world champion. That's the most <laughs> American thing I can think of. Yeah, just declaring yourself world champion. I'm the champion. Of the world, who's gonna def- dispute me? Well, no one else is listening to you. I don't care. <laughs> anyway, the story is reared many times by Robert for various means. Uh, he sometimes uses it to show his desire for competition and winning at, at an early age, and in some cases, evidence that his brother just couldn't keep up with his drive. Man, he's he a, gets better. I say he's a real <laughs> dick. The history of the Mondalvi family would not likely be the same without prohibition. While many alcohol producers were destroyed by the event, uh, by the event in early in American history, the Mondalvi family struck upon the loophole that allowed households to create their own wine. The company would sell hardy and thick-skinned grapes to families uh, in the East for home production and started an empire from the scarcity of wine. Yeah, they're, they're one of those groups that were like, here, concentrate, just add water.
2: Or no, they don't add. <laughs> yeah, do not add water.
3: So making making your own wine at home was completely was legal within was,
1: a certain limit.
3: Yeah, you couldn't be like putting this out there, and I don't know if it was still the two hundred gallons a year or whatever it is for beer, but um, you couldn't sell it away. So it was basically, hey, now beer was illegal, but wine was was still legal. Wine, for you to wine make home. had certain
1: provisions due to religious and yeah. other yeah. other so, issues. Yeah.
3: You know, they would t- be like a mail order company. Here, send us money for grapes and we'll package them up and send them back to you, basically.
1: But yeah, from the sound of
3: this, it sounds like it's much more
1: of a concentrate like, because they made a thicker
3: yeah. Oh,
1: no, no, no. They were
3: thick-skinned grapes.
1: Oh, oh, that's right. That's right, because so, they were cheaper. Better for ship- to
3: shipping. Yeah. Yes. Shipping, yep. Uh, Sorry, I was trying
1: to, to find our Prohibition episode quickly so I could find the, the <laughs> section in there where we talked about how much they were allowed to make. I was like, I know I have that somewhere, like, <laughs> close.
2: Well, Keep talking. I'll find it while you guys are— When talking about Prohibition and Italians, however, it would be difficult not to talk about the Mafia. Although the Mandavi family says it never participated in bootlegging or had What tie- Mafia?
1: There is no Mafia.
2: Or had ties to the Mafia. The sheer size of their business makes it likely, at least, uh, that some of the grapes uh, they were sending to the East were being used to make illegal commercial wine. During Prohibition, wine consumption actually doubled, mostly due to loopholes in the Volstead Act. It also moved from a cheap beverage that immigrants drank to a luxury that was imported from France.
1: Again, there is no mafia. They did nothing wrong.
2: (laughs) Nothing at all. Uh, Chesare worked uh, through this time and changed his business model to include Napa Valley grapes. He could purchase these at the time under utilized yet high potential grapes at a lower price and sell them for a much higher rate due to the quality.
1: (laughs) By the way, real quick, under the Volstead Act and other provisions, a ha- head of a household was allowed to produce 200 gallons of fermented juice, fruit juice. Okay. Yep. 200 gallons.
2: <laughs> That's enough. Uh, Napa well, grapes.
3: 50-gallon 50, 50 uh, uh, kegs downstairs, you know.
2: <laughs> uh, Napa grapes before the great... Uh, Phylloxera. Yeah, we've gone over this outbreak before the Phylloxera outbreak. Of the late 1800s, had won many accolades and awards, but the devastating disease killed many of the vines, and they were replaced with uh, prune trees and walnuts. God, those monsters! <laughs> Got everyone pooping everywhere.
1: I was gonna say, like, man, they were like, no, no one drink, no one pees, everyone poops. Yeah.
2: <laughs> the insane asylum located in Napa was actually more well known at the time than its wines. Shortly after Prohibition, the wines from Napa uh, after Prohibition began to get the reputation of being bad due to older wines being blended with young ones and uh, the glut of commercial production. When the great look,
1: once you finally get back in the business, yeah. you got to go
2: a bit nuts. <laughs> when the Great Depression hit, the family business was heavily affected. Uh, Chesire even came to his sons and offered to put them uh, offered to put them through any college they chose if they would loan him fifteen thousand dollars they had saved up from nailing together boxes. Seems seems a little familiar that that sum of money and
3: <laughs> oh no that was yeah that was they they knew it because that was what they had put aside yeah he had put it into a separate account for them and they were still young at this time so they uh, I'm assuming the the deal was they got it once they were able to be like of age, yeah. Just um, like and needed it,
2: just like he had done. Uh, yep. They they did, and he fulfilled his promise. Both were sent to Stanford University. Their daughters, however, were sent to uh, Secretary Stanford.
1: School. I hear it's a good school.
2: <laughs> yeah, possibly. In Robert's senior year of college, he took a chemistry class with the intention that it could help him make wine when he graduated. Yeah, he
3: wasn't he wasn't on track necessarily to be a vintner or be a winemaker um, early on, but the Great Depression being what it was, he was pretty sure he wasn't going to get a job unless it was with his family business.
2: Yeah, so you're going to do something that's going to help out there. Uh, when he graduated in 1936, he was the first person in the immediate family to do so, That summer, he took a crash course in grape growing and winemaking at the University of California, Berkeley. He then moved into the Napa Valley to work for a friend of his father's who ran a bulk wine company, the Sunny St. Helena Winery. He started as an assistant and cellar person at the lowest end of the hierarchy, even though his father had purchased a stake in the business. Company made wine from purchased grapes and shipped it out in a tanker in tanker railroad cars. That's a whole lot of wine. Whoo! Yeah. In nineteen
3: 19- bulk one, they called it tank one
2: because it was in tankers, literally. Yep. Uh, in nineteen forty, uh, Robert married Marjorie. Marjor- Why was I trying to make it more complicated?
3: <laughs> Marjoram. <laughs>
2: My mind was just like, no, this is going to be hard to say. And I'm like, no, wait, that's, no, <laughs> Marjorie, uh, De... no, no, the last name, DeCluson?
3: Sure.
2: Sure. <laughs> his high school sweetheart and daughter of a higher class fruit buyer. Hmm. Very fortuitous in the area. Uh, during their honeymoon, Robert used time to visit his father's bulk wine accounts and work on building those relationships the wine business and their private life were intertwined, even from the first days of their marriage. After Peter's graduation from Stanford, he decided to continue his studies in a graduate program at UC Berkeley. Where he so res- I
3: don't I didn't when I wrote this. I guess I didn't. Peter was the younger, the youngest child of the family, and the youngest son, of course, um, uh, younger to Robert. But yeah,
1: well, apparently everyone was younger to Robert.
3: But, uh, well, he had the two sisters that were older, but they... More, He's they the oldest count. son. Yep, exactly. Because, they,
1: you know, only sons count.
3: There was <laughs> there was an instance where... I want to Robert, make it
1: clear that was me being...
2: He rolled being, his yeah, eyes. Not, not... If you're just hearing the audio, he was rolling his <laughs> eyes and shaking his head, as he said.
3: There was an instance where, um, you know, his father was was pretty well off in that region, and so... Um, whenever he was really young and didn't have a learner's permit yet, his he, he Robert actually got pulled over by the cops. And here he was, you know, a, a tiny child and driving a car around and the cop comes up and he says, what's your name? And "And do you have a license? And the guy goes, no. Or Robert goes, no, but uh, I'm the eldest son of Chesseray, And the cop basically <laughs> says, have a nice day. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, you mean like he's this uh <laughs> In the sense of like a George W. Bush scenario? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. You've got a lot of cocaine on you, sir. Well, my father is George H.W. Bush. Have a nice day. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Have a high day. Uh, after Peter's graduation from Stanford, he decided to continue his studies in a graduate program at UC Berkeley where he uh, researched cold fermentation of white wines, which produces a more crisp and fruity flavor. After grad-
3: Originally, that had only been something that was done in Germany. And they worked on um, a Traumeter grape, which was the name that the U.S. gave for Gewurztraminer. Mm. I was going to say, like, that a seems
1: very, like it's, it's, it's Gewurztraminer. But, a very and, familiar and so, name. You said you said German, so I thought it could only be two Yeah. in either Riesling or it's Gewurztraminer.
3: Yep. And so Germany was really good at making the crisp and fruity flavor, and it was because they used colder production method- methods.
2: Hmm. All right, checking those boxes off. After graduation, he began uh, working at the Acampo Winery, uh, where his father was president at the time, when the previous manager, uh, Sonny St. Helena? Helena.
3: Helena.
2: Why wow, do I don't want to say Helena?
3: Like Mount, Mount St. Helens. Yeah,
2: Helena uh, Winery passed away. Robert became the company's manager. Peter and Robert both were Army aged during World War II, but because Robert worked for a tomato and grape growing operation as a manager, he was exempt from the draft. His brother Peter, however, went oh. to went to serve his country in the army, Air Corps, fighting in England. Uh, the difference. I'm gonna
1: say someone's got that Jack Kirby luck.
2: Yeah, <laughs> this difference in pathway would set up the family to have an imbalance of power where even uh, though Peter was only a year younger, his experience in winemaking would be quite stunted. In 1943, while his brother was off to war, Robert learned of the pending offering of the Charles Krug winery in Napa Valley.
1: I feel like this family, by the way, would make a interesting, uh, like interesting mini series of some kind of like family oh, yeah. intrigue
2: oh, this would be a I, really good biopic or something like that like this is this I, would be great to watch
1: yeah like, like while like reading in this book. game like in that game of thrones like intrigue style where you're like like no you're a real jerk <laughs> yeah. but i really want to watch you be a be a prick to everyone.
3: <laughs> yes, I like this. This the book is. I mean, you have to get the book and listen to it. It's like fifteen, sixteen hours.
1: Oh, as I just a, fin- a listen I on just Audible. Finished a book, so I'm 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 due for another.
3: Get this one and listen to it. We're going to, you know, this is only episode one of of probably two, maybe three that are going to be about the subject matter. But um, the. The book really puts it out there like a movie, and it's all like these stories from their lives, and and you can kind of see it happening just like it would be on the big screen. So good.
2: Jeez. Well, they had the idea that since bulk wine prices were set stable at around 28 cents per gallon, but bottled wines could be sold at any price, they could buy the winery and use the facilities to bottle their bulk wine. Also, at the time, uh, tanker rail cars were being used for the war effort, so many wineries were switching to making bottled wine to make it easier to transport.
0: Hmm. Mm. Also, yeah, I'm, I'm seeing this show in my head, like on Netflix or Stars or something.
3: Um, right. <laughs> the problem is these people aren't long enough dead. Like some of them are still alive. So you're either going to make some people look out look like really bad people, and and have issues there, or you know, have, oh, have some man. weirdness.
1: That's never stopped I, some networks before, though. <laughs> man, I can't wait until we get, like, that kind of show about early Marvel comics. Oh, yeah. Because, like, what Stan Lee on? and Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko yeah. and all of them just, like, oh, God, I could, wa- I, oh, I could <laughs> watch that all day. Just just people <laughs> who who created amazing things that you enjoy but could not stand one another. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's weird stuff. Yep. All right. Uh, also, okay, so how are we saying the... I've been in and out because uh, I've been trying to, like... I've been muted the whole time because he's been Maybe. like, meh. Uh, array? <laughs> Is that... Chesere. Okay. Okay, so Robert's father turned down the idea simply by saying, I'm happy I don't have to get any bigger than what we are. He got up and left the room. <laughs> Robert, however, was in constant need for growth. He approached as
1: the- as Shark Tank has taught us: don't leave the table. <laughs> this is this is uh, 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 our friend Matt's uh, rule when we're playing uh, uh, diplomatic board games. Mm,
0: nice. Never
3: leave the table.
0: <laughs> I mean, that's just yeah. a good
3: rule. He he literally listened without saying anything to the entire pitch and why it would be a great idea. And he said literally that one line gets up and goes to bed (laughs) (laughs) nice (sighs) Uh,
0: he approached his mother and was able to persuade her to convince Cesare of the deal Uh, the next morning before Robert even said a word his father asked him when he would want to go visit the winery Uh, Peter was home for a short time on his military furlough that's a word Uh, so he joined furlough yeah I got nothing uh, so he joined his father and Robert as they went to the, is it Krug or Krug? Krug. Krug Ranch. Uh, through a short negotiation, they agreed on a $75,000 sale price.
3: So the, when I say the, a short negotiation, they walked into the room, the guy got a phone call from another buyer, and he said, I'm sorry, I'm selling it to to uh, Chessiree from down the road, and hung up the phone, and then they start negotiating.
0: <laughs> wow. Seriously, uh, that's that's some kind of reputation, you know? Like that, right. Uh, okay. When he bought the ranch, Chester Ray told his sons he would only do so if they agreed to work together on the venture. Many improvements were needed to defunct uh, to defunct winery, and the cement floors were still drying when they had their first grape crush. Um, to repair
3: the defunct winery. Sorry. Oh, oh, you're fine. That was my bad.
0: Um. The family decided to sell their best bulk wines under the bottled label Charles Krug and the bulk wines that were not as good under the CK label. (laughs) So same name, but not really. Uh, Over the years, they were the first winery in the valley to open a tasting room and even host wine tasting parties. Upon his return from the war, Peter joined Robert in running the winery and uh, the company began doing blind tastings and improving their production quality. Robert turned the production side over to Peter as he began working more on the business management side. Um, Robert was a perfectionist who was looking for constant improvement. Many of the changes he had implemented were not kept when his brother took over production. He complained about the blind tastings not being done anymore and had a speech pattern where he would start by saying something good, then continuing for sometimes more than half an hour uh, with criticisms. He was a harsh critic of his brother, which began to sow discourse between the brothers. Well, yeah. Uh, in 1963, Robert received an invitation to a White House dinner to honor the Italian president uh, with President Kennedy. Notable Italian-Americans were invited to the dinner, and Robert assumed the invitation was only for himself and his wife. He this not... is
2: like
3: him and like Joe DiMaggio and Italian composers... He so was like the who's who of Italian Americans,
0: uh, but he did not invite his brother Peter. <laughs> Robert took his wife to the city to shop at some of the nicest stores for something to wear to the event. They looked at a mink coat, which was too expensive at five thousand dollars, even though it would have been perfect for the event. The coat would have cost Robert one fifth of his yearly income at the time. A oh, while later, crap. yeah, a while later, <laughs> right. he learned that the coat had went on sale for fifty percent off so he decided to buy the coat on his company's expense account, justifying it that he would pay it back through cost savings to the company, and he was representing the company at the White House.
1: Wow. Uh, uh, yeah, no, like, he's that... Kind of a douche. That, um, yeah, he's that, that... I don't know if I want to say, like, Tony Soprano or Don Draper character that you... the that They're terrible people, but for some reason you're kind of like, yeah, no, it's fine. <laughs>
0: it's on brand um robert and peter both lived on the crew ranch but robert's house was much larger and grander than peter's robert earned more and drove a nicer car there was a growing jealousy of robert <laughs> their personalities were quite you don't different. don't say yeah, no joke uh were quite different where robert was a gracious or yeah gracious individual who was charismatic and like grandiose grandiose oh okay i was like i can't read um, Peter, however, was thoughtful and analytical, and he could appear slow, but he was just analyzing all the options. He was much quieter and more reserved. Robert, being at the winery longer, uh, was by default Peter's boss, even though they had equal standing in the family business. I think it was very messed up. <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah. You understand why this turns into a two or three-parter later on, or here in just, this, just a second.
0: And why this needs to be a show.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So Robert's push, this is season one here. This is, you know, all we're doing right here is just going through season one. And then next season two for the the television uh, series will be uh, the next episode. Uh, So Robert's push for perfection led him to criticize his brother's production methods and even called his brother's wines oxidized and off flavored. A quality that was actually reinforced by reports from the sales department in the field. Robert was hungry for expansion, while his brother Peter, like their father, was more focused on keeping it a small family-ran operation. In 1958, things had gotten bad enough that Robert went to his father to complain. Chesare agreed that with Robert and gave him the full managerial powers, as well as putting him over production, Peter's area. Peter left the company for five months the next year to spend time calling on accounts in the field, and just to get out of the, the situation that was going on there on, on the actual uh, winery grounds. Upon his return, he had kept his grudge, however. Uh, the power of Chessiree to keep his family together was waning. His health was, dis- was diminishing, and he even had a diabetic episode. He went into a, s- a small coma while driving his car and hit and killed a pedestrian and broke his own nose, ribs, and both legs.
1: Oh, uh, oh yeah. no. He At- only broke some bones. Well, after the other the accident, guy's dead.
3: <laughs> well, woman, actually.
1: The other per- um, other woman is dead.
3: Yep. Um, after the accident, he took to the bed and rarely spoke. He mourned the event for the rest of his life, actually. Um, so he really well, felt.
1: Feel, so yep. more like he's less of a jerk, but still like a yeah. lucky well, rich guy. It
3: was, I mean, it was a diabetic coma. He, you know, he was he was a little older and had diabetes. So he was kind of just in a in a and this is Chesere, the father. So he was, yeah. he was just kind of. A, a diabetic episode, it happens.
1: Uh, yeah, um, no, I know, I know. Uh, also, when you said he oh, has yeah. diabetes, like if you're of a certain age, I think you have to say it like Wilford Brimley. Diabetes. Diabetes. Uh, he,
3: he handed over all of his business interests to Robert and asked someone else to drive him wherever he needed to go. He even voluntarily paid the victim's family money and paid them visits.
1: Okay, fine. I, I quickly <laughs> judged the rich guy of being a jerk. I'm sorry.
3: Just a couple of years later he suffered a heart attack and died in nineteen fifty
1: nine. You know, Casey, you're just laying it on thick.
3: <laughs> I think Chesseray's the, the the guy who kind of uh
1: comes out of this the best.
3: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um Chesseray's wife, Rosa, inherited his portion of the stock. She owned forty percent each son owned twenty percent, and each daughter ten percent of the entire business. Um, that was the way Cesare had divided it up because he felt like that was what the um, the contributions of each individual were to the business itself. Um,
1: <laughs> uh, sorry, I'm just one. That's it's a bit terrible to be a daughter of of Cesare, but yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's, at the same time, I like that he went. He went like, my wife gets forty percent. Well, what about the sons? You get 20%. (laughs) Yeah,
3: and it was him and his wife, but she eventually got, you know, got all of it by the time he he passed away. Um, With Chesaree gone, the family fell into more disarray. The disagreements between Robert and Peter had been arbitrated by their father. But now that he was gone, their mother tried unsuccessfully to work out their differences. She consistently sided with Peter as the baby of the family. Robert took a trip to Europe in 1962, where he visited 48 wineries in just a couple weeks, at the company's expense. Well,
1: While, that does seem surprising at all.
3: <laughs> While there, he learned of the smaller oak barrels and crafted European wines versus the large vat wines that were more common in California. He also learned of the subtle art of pairing wine with food. Upon his return, he made a unilateral decree that the family company would be improving the way that they would be producing wines They purchased, at great expense, small French oak barrels that replaced the current 9,000 to 30,000-gallon cedar vats. So they went to 50-gallon barrels versus 9,000 to 30,000-gallon barrels. Upon his return, Robert also created a kind of consortium between the notable wine producers in the region where they could share ideas on how to improve. Peter was fervently against this as he thought it was a poor business decision to show how they do business with their to share how they do business with their competitors. Early in that time, however, there was more demand for California wine than there was production, and these companies were having no issues selling what they made. These meetings helped improve the entire region's perception in the global wine market. In 1965, the tension came to a head when the brothers argued over Robert's spending and lavish use of the company's business funds for business trips. The other family members were not as interested in growth, but instead were wanting more profits to be returned as dividends instead of being put back into the company. Through the argument, Peter let go of all his pin-up rage on the subject. Robert, in turn, responded by warning Peter that if he said what he said again, he would hit him. which he said it again. <laughs> And he hit him. him, Robert gave him a third chance and said, take that back or else I'm going to hit you. God, this is the most
1: childish.
3: (laughs) These guys are in their fifties at this point. Yeah. 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 No,
1: (laughs) I'm just thinking it's still the most childish. Like, so one more time.
3: (laughs) Yep. But instead, Peter said, no. So Robert hit his brother multiple times and the two wrestled on the ground. Robert grabbed Peter by the throat and choked him enough to leave purple marks on his neck. Whenever he went back to his wife at first, uh, Peter refused to say what had happened, but eventually told his wife that he ran into a door. I was going to say that he said that he (laughs) fell down the stairs. Right. Uh, So Robert was asked by the other family and owners of the business to take a six-month leave of absence with pay, and he would no longer be the manager of Krug. Robert saw what would be happening. However, he understood that his future with the winery was in jeopardy and the family would likely never come back, let him come back to the company after his 6 months' leave was up. At Thanksgiving of that year, he bought, brought his children back home from college and he had a family meeting with his wife and his uh, children. He, I think it was three children, actually. Uh, he proposed to them the idea of starting his own winery. He told them it would be five to ten years of hard work and very little pay. But his intention was to build something for his son, Michael, who, had been, who had been, he had been grooming to actually become a winemaker. Uh, Robert's family agreed, and he set out raising the funds to start the Robert Mandavi Winery. In 1966, with $100,000 in personal loans from his friends and a co-signed $100,000 loan from the Bank of America, Ooh. Robert purchased an 11.6-acre plot of land near his family's current vineyards, and founded the Robert Mondavi Winery.
1: I have to imagine he he chose that location just so he could shake his fist angrily at <laughs> at his family. So the and the, to eventually buy them.
3: Well, uh, that's so um, more next time. But still to this day, Peter is the owner of the Krug winery and then Robert Mandavi, he passed away a few years ago, but you know, he was the the he turned it over to his sons being the where Robert Mandavi or to his son being the Robert Mandavi winery. Um, but yeah that that one winery those, one of those is a name I recognize and
1: one I only sort of recognize. Yeah.
3: So Krug you probably actually recognize from the fact that they actually chose to keep the name Krug because it was the name of a champagne company in France
1: mm-hmm.
3: that had better name recognition. But the Charles Krug was the, the guy that came and actually started the business in America. has no correlation with, with the other champagne company. So uh, literally, they tried to keep that name just because of the name recognition. But uh, yeah, so he basically... Got this plot of land because it was part of a larger plot that had been div- divvied up from an old winery, pre-prohibition winery that uh, whenever people first started coming to Napa Valley to make wine, this was the place that they started. And so, you know, he, he wanted someplace that was there on that same plot of land and backed up right against his family so he could probably shake his fist.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> so you piss across uh, the property line onto their under their land.
0: But here's the question: Who do you cast in these roles when they make the
1: show?
3: <laughs> no, John John,
1: John Ham is Robert Mandavi, like hands down. But who's like Chester that's how Ray? I'm picturing this. Right
3: you gotta now. have like three different ages of Robert Mandavi, though. Oh, you gotta have like yeah. the middle age fighter, and then you gotta have the old like old okay. Robert Mandavi in there too. Uh,
1: okay, look, middle aged Robert Mandavi is James is is John Ham. Like I, you cannot yeah. you cannot dissuade me from this.
3: I would I would almost go with, um, who meet the Fockers and all those. Oh, uh, Ben Stiller, Robert De Niro, right. Robert
1: De Niro. Oh, I old. would almost
3: go De Niro for old, mm. old. Uh,
1: um. You know what? It's fine. It for me, I can distinguish in a movie actors portraying a role, and it's you know, it's not going to bother me if like someone who radically does not look like the other person. Is See, going to be
2: a, your problem there is it's gonna be typecasting and it's gonna make everyone just be in it the whole time going, Well obviously this has mob ties because <laughs> you put one of the <laughs> actors who plays more mobsters than anyone else in it.
1: Yeah. Oh man. Anybody else super excited when Godfather and all of their incarnations popped up on Netflix? Yes. Oh yeah. Sorry. Sure. It's it's
2: it's immaterial, but it was just like oh god. Hmm. Wow, I can't wait for the next one of these. <laughs> yeah, like this story is great. How is this? How have they not sold the rights to this? That's uh, what I'm saying. No,
3: this is this is so like intrigue and and family. Just the way she writes this book is is so good, and the fact that she's like, um, <laughs> when whenever he announces to the family that he's going to open his own winery, he goes to his mother first and says, "Hey, I want you to, to invest." Um, and she says, well, will I get a voting share? And he's like, no, we don't. We're not. I'll be the only one who has the vote. You won't get the vote. And so he goes away and then gets these loans and everything and comes back and says, I'm going to be calling it the Robert Mandavi winery. And the family's like, oh, uh, you, you can't do that. Mandavi's on our wine label right now. And he's like, no, no, no. You use the Americanized version of the name, Mandavi." We are going to use Mandavi, the real way to spell it. And his mother just looks at him and slaps him across the face.
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm
1: just saying this is a this is a this is a, a mini series on yeah. Yeah. Oh. By the way, by the way, uh furry Viking in the chat says middle aged Peter is Steve Buscemi <laughs>
3: <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I could, like for me what I was seeing was I was seeing um, of course like, ham but then also on the other side of that uh, who's the guy that plays um, okay this is a long stretch. Okay, we go okay. to um, community uh-huh. and there's the girl that plays in community but also in Madman.
1: Uh, that's Allison Bree.
3: Allison Bree's husband.
1: Uh, that uh, um oh crap, I forgot his name. The Is it Peter? Is his name Peter also in the show? No, his name is Peter in the show. He is he's also an angel as the terrible son that shouldn't have happened.
0: Oh, uh, Vincent Carthesier. Or Thank you. A. Yeah. Yes,
2: All you had yes, to do wow. is relate it by
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, no. I knew I knew how to get someone else to get it there. I was like, No, no, this is this is the kid from Angel. It's it's something and I couldn't remember what it was, but yes.
3: Okay, well, he would be the one that I would put in Peter's role. As as Peter? Yeah. Yeah,
1: Yeah, no, I could. That makes sense. Oh, it makes perfect sense if you've seen Mad Men. Look, I'm just saying, we just take the cast from Mad Men, we put them in this show. (laughs) All of
2: this makes a lot more sense when you've been drinking. And what have we been drinking?
3: (laughs) I was not prepared. Well done. Good job.
1: Drink with me, friend. Look, I'm just saying we could have at least another couple hour discussion between me and Casey about Mad Men.
3: Is this why so many directors and writers in Hollywood are Italian?
1: <laughs> All right. Anyway, um so uh time for my deep dark confession about this episode. I've not been drinking to style. I I I've been feeling under the weather the last few days. I did not decide to I didn't want to drive out to the brewery. Um that brewery the the liquor store for
2: that. Too. The place where ah. the alcohol comes from.
1: <laughs>
3: the place what where with
2: the alcohol. Knows your name.
1: <laughs> Look, that's becoming a problem at at, <laughs> at Ethereal. I I can't I can't go back there as much. Um anyway, uh instead I decided to drink uh drink beer because I had some birthday beer I've been holding on to for probably too long, but it was it was barrel aged so I'm sure it was fine. I got the James E Pepper nineteen seventy uh, sorry seventeen seventy six rye whiskey barrel aged brown ale from Georgetown Trading Company. Uh, so this is uh, an American brown ale uh, aged in rye whiskey barrels. It comes in at about uh, fourteen po- uh, sorry ten point four percent ABV. Fourteen percent would be would be pushing it. <laughs> uh... Uh, but it is a 4.05 uh, score on Beer Advocate in one of its two entries. <laughs> it's confusing. I went with the one that had the picture of the of the bottle I had. Um, it's prettier. And the description from the bottle is, This fine American brown ale was made in the old style. And it matured to perfection in freshly dumped oaked barrels that previously held the award winning James E Pepper 1776 straight rye whiskey cheers um <laughs> by the way i can't hear i can't hear the word 1776 without immediately somewhere in my brain shouting murder pills um that is a really old deep cut for like five people probably uh anyway uh this beer is uh really delicious the the oak flavor probably lingers a little longer at the end than i would like but by and large it's it's delicious i've been enjoying it most of the show uh, i got it uh i got a bomber of it for my birthday and i've been uh been treating myself treat yourself today treat yourself uh been been enjoying it tonight it's 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 pretty pretty damn fine
2: nice
1: how about you chris
2: well uh i continue with my trend of hardly ever drinking the style that and i meant to actually on this one and not to do a spoiler here but casey actually got the exact bottle i was looking at getting when i did some online research
1: can i Can I say real quick, there was a moment where I considered going out just very quickly to buy the champagne of beer.
2: (sighs) But uh, anyway, I forgot. Like It just slipped my mind because when you sleep three hours a night, (laughs) non-consecutively, you tend to forget things.
3: You get a pass.
2: Uh, so I just this week. I dove into the fridge because also with what all's been going on with us there's been a lot of beer just sitting in the fridge waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And waiting, and waiting. So I was For like two years
1: when when you expect your friends to drink it all
2: pretty much. So <laughs> I'm drinking uh, our seasonal favorite chocoveza from oh! stone Brewing. This is a mocha stout coming in at 8.1% ABV, 50 IBUs, because Stone's never going to shy away from those IBUs. Beer Advocate score, 4.34 out of 5. Uh, brewery's description, you know what it is. Like, Why Why go into this? It's, it's one of the beers that started this Mexican hot chocolate stout thing that we are all just balls deep into. <laughs> like, it is just, uh, it's comical how much they're doing this. So much so that, you know... Brew Dogs decided to make a beer that's making fun of this.
1: I mean, once you reach the point of parody,
2: you've truly made it. That's yeah.
1: how that's how musicians rate their success when Weird Al makes fun
2: mm-hmm. of them. Exactly. No, this is. Uh, I mean, it's just a. It's not a huge stout, but it is an appropriately leveled stout, like with uh, your ABV and all this. And, I mean, all the flavors come through perfectly. You still get a spiciness of the peppers. You can taste the coffee. You can taste the vanilla, the cinnamon, the nutmeg. It's all there, and it's all fantastic. This oh, beer, it's
1: it's the seasonal from Stone I look forward to the most.
2: Yes, I love it. It is fantastic. Uh, every year I'll drink it. I'll get at least, well, it used to be one bottle. Now it's even in cans. And I got a can this year to see if that changes the <clears> taste. It's still just as good. <sighs>
1: I was wondering if it was going to be better or just as good. So,
2: just as good. All right, Casey. So, what you have to tell me what the bottle I was going to get <laughs> is like. Tell
1: us, tell us, O oh Style Keeper.
3: Yeah. So, uh, this is Robert Mondavi's private selection. Uh, we'll learn a little bit about that brand versus the Robert Mondavi Winery brand uh, in one of the future episodes, and why they're different. Uh, but this is a Cabernet Sauvignon, uh, Monterey County, 2016, thats that's been aged in bourbon barrels.
1: Oh, yeah. So, you're probably, you're, this wine is is, is is speaking to me. Tell me. Tell me about
3: it. Uh, so you were talking about uh, oh, it would be crazy to have something that's 14% alcohol. Well, this one's coming in at for,
1: 145
3: for beer, yes. Yeah, for beer. <laughs> Um, this one, yeah, really, really high alcohol, but it doesn't taste like it. Um, I opened this yesterday, I poured off a little bit, it breathed overnight, and then I was able to drink it today. So, this is, this is after breathing for a day that I'm getting most of the notes that I do on this one. Vivino gives this a 4.1 out of 5, and so for a $16, $17 bottle of wine, that's actually not bad. Um, I would... Consider this sort of like a, a little. Whenever I look at wines, I'm like, okay, you've got wines that just taste like wine, and then you've got wines that have a little something special about them, and that's really where that you get the extra points in my book. Um, just a basic wine is like a three, and I then
1: say, i was gonna say wine ass wine is yeah,
3: you know, boring. Yeah, why not? Why not? You know, not experiment. Well, my, my thing is, most of these wines that you get, it's like Budweiser. You don't get a bad Budweiser or a bad
1: yes, um, you do. off flavor.
3: Well, you don't get an off-flavored Budweiser. Okay,
1: you get a controlled.
3: They're, but... they're very controlled in the way they, they taste. So whenever you get most of these mass-produced wines, it's it's very much a very singular flavor that you get out of there. So this one, by putting in the bourbon barrels, um, it, it like the color is like blackberry jam. Mm. um that's really because i even get that sheen that you sometimes get with with blackberry jam it's just so so deep colored that you get that sheen on them aroma wise the first thing i got was huge vanilla oak barrel aroma and then i got a little bit more of that toasty roast uh, not even roasty, a little bit of toastiness in there um but uh, you get like a blackberry note in there uh, uh, it says cherry I don't really get a whole lot of cherry. What I do get now that it's set open for a day or two is almost like a uh, bourbon barrel aged imperial stout. Nope. They've got this – this. it's not a roasty, toasty aroma that I get, but it's like a it, – I don't know. It's, it's sort of this oxidized is aroma.
1: Tannin. See, you're saying it like it's something I want, but <sighs> I know that it's not.
3: I don't know. This one, as far as – it's a very full body. It's not, uh, it's not watery at all. It's, it's one of these wines that really has something that's even more than what you get out of just wine. You go to a restaurant and you get a Kendall Jackson Cabernet, you know what it's going to taste like. It's going to taste the same as something else. I mean, it's, it's always going to be the exact same flavor for a Cabernet something on. This one is just a little bit different, a little bit more. Even if it was that same wine when it went into the barrel, being in the barrel has changed it. Being in that, uh, that bourbon barrel has changed it quite a bit whenever it comes back out.
1: And the wines you're choosing as the most basic wine descriptions are the ones I know best from serving them.
3: Oh, well, yeah, that's that's where and, you go. You go to Applebee's. Yeah. You go wherever. Yeah,
1: yeah. But as you're saying, I'm just like, hey, is Kendall Jackson serving? I was like, I know exactly which which bloody wine you're talking about, and I do not like it.
3: Um, it does have a little bit of a substantial tannin to it, so your mouth does get that little bit of puckering, but it disappears. But it sticks around. The whole wine sticks around quite a bit, so it's like a um, you, you still taste it thirty seconds later, and and you've got that thickness of mouthfeel, uh, which is just like medium plus uh, body. So it's a how really ma- how many C's to that thick thick uh, two C's and a K.
1: Okay, that's that's pretty thick. <laughs> Uh, by the way, M-Beam uh, is telling us what he's been drinking, and it's my favorite description of all time. Uh, he is currently drinking a Dr. Pepper of Burger King vintage dispensed from a fountain of crap overly watered down by too much dice.
3: <laughs> I want Burger King right <laughs> now. <laughs> I
1: didn't I make sandwich before the show. Like, but Man, I wish there was a good Burger King nearby that wouldn't screw up my order with every M- single attempt.
3: I can't go to the one in Pikeville cuz it came out that they put semen in a burger not what? too long ago. So
1: that requires a whole lot of <laughs> like thought and preparation to get to <laughs> like you've got to stop there like all right I'm going to make sure this sandwich has <laughs> semen.
3: <laughs> yep.
1: Oh. oh, oh, sorry, sorry. MBeam says he should have added dispense with non-biodegradable petroleum-based in a plastic cup with cylindrical sipping accessory.
3: Mm. Wow. <laughs> oh, you just M-Beam, hate the
1: is one of my, MBeam is one of my
3: favorite <laughs> people. I love it. All right, then. Does that wrap us up for this week? I, I believe,
2: believe so.
3: so yeah. Yes. Perfect. I see a bottle of Weller back there on your shelf. I don't think that was there before.
2: No, it wasn't. That that was oh. uh, Party Source had uh, uh, this is a nice place. I should have added this when I was talking about what we were doing. Party Source on uh, day after Black Friday was it the day after Black Friday? Yes, uh, they had the whiskey harvest or the bourbon <sighs> harvest. They set up random uh, booths all around the store. I didn't know how they just said, oh, we're going to be raffling off a bunch of rare bourbons, including Pappy. And I was like, oh, okay." And I popped down there. I was like, I'm figuring it just be the bucket thing. I was like, I'll fill out the cards and toss them in and call me or whatever. No, no. Everyone stood in lines at random tables. They had like 20 tables all across party source, large store, sheets over the tables and bottles on the table. You have no idea what you're standing in line for. And then at 11 a.m., they just ripped the sheets off, and no one knew what limits were. You, I like, you had no idea. And all I could see through one of the sheets is I could see the Weller label. And I was like, well, I know Weller's at this table. I was like, I don't know which ones. So I, I stood there, and they ripped the sheet. Like, an announcement came over, and they just started ripping sheets off, and it's all, like, the rarest bourbons from the year. And just, like, scattered all over these tables, and they are just like, you're allowed one bottle of everything at each table. So the table I was at had uh, Weller Special Reserve, Sazerac, uh I can't remember the other one. The only thing left when I got to the table was the Weller.
1: See, this is why I can't buy, like,
2: nice bourbons for you guys for Christmas.
1: <laughs> because it's like, everything I want, they've already got.
2: Well, I was a uh, $23 is all that bottle cost me. I mean, fair, but, like, I don't find good yeah. stuff. Yeah. Well, the crazy For... thing was, so that they did that every two hours, all oh. day long. They just, they would, they kept reloading the tables, putting the sheet back on there, and the only stipulation, like, <laughs> it was, however much you could carry, the only stipulation was between rounds, you had to check out and take your bottles to your car and come back inside, <laughs> That caveat made it because I'm pretty sure they got close to hitting their the fire code for people in there because people kept packing in and packing in and packing in. And it like <laughs> I left after the first round. I got my one bottle. I was like, all right, I'm good. <laughs> you got to have at it.
3: All right, guys. We, we,
2: we got to round this up. Yeah.
3: You can subscribe and get some great resources at haveadrinkshow.com. Follow us at haveadrinkshow on social media and twitch.tv
1: don't forget to tell us your favorite drink ask a question or just leave some general feedback you can use email email address feedback at haveadrinkshow.com use the feedback page on the website smoke signals, uh, sandwich signs whatever you feel like we'll we'll answer it
2: yeah, all joking and fun aside guys I'd like to remind everyone to please drink responsibly don't be a Florida man Florida man <laughs> that should be
0: a bumper sticker in and of itself um, check us out next Saturday for the next live episode and uh once also remember to check out patreon.com slash have a drink show. Once again, I'm Brittany Lee Walker.
1: I'm Justin Frost.
2: I'm Christopher Walker.
3: I'm Casey Press. We'll see you next time.
2: Bye guys. Bye.